Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being around. Um, appreciate it. We're looking at the birth of Jesus and the aftermath of that. We, we just finished up looking at the Magi. Um, well, we didn't really finish looking at it. We looked at who they were, I guess is a better way to say it. So now we move into the rest of the story after they go to Herod and, and tell him, hey, we understand that the Jewish king has been born, um, and where is he? And then Herod summons the chief priests and the scribes, and they tell him, based on Micah 5, 2, that, that Bethlehem is where the king will be born. And so Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I, may, I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So it's it's clearly guiding them and pointing them in that right direction. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, I did mention, I want to mention this, that uh, yesterday I had talked about the difference between sort of Jewish astrology and pagan astrology. And Jewish astrology looks at the stars and see God's handiwork and believes that that things can be known from looking at the stars. Pagan astrology says that the stars and their patterns and the constellations and all that are deterministic, that that they they change us, they determine us, uh, our future and our fate. And so there's a gigantic difference between those two points of view. One, God's in control. The other is the stars are in control. And so here what we see with the star moving and then resting over the place where the child was, we see God's in charge. So when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, it's this magnification of the way that they feel. So, so the fulfillment of the prophecy had come to pass. In other words, they had seen and understood correctly the prophecy that, that Daniel had given. They had got the timing right. They had gotten everything exactly right. They, they were happy that, that these things had taken place and were true, but equally happy that they had discerned these things from the information that they had available to them. So in going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures and offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So these guys who had come from Persia come now and and they find this child exactly the way the prophecy had been. Herod had said, once you've found him, come back and see me, and then we'll, I'll go worship him too. And yet, after they offer worship to this child, after they do the things that they were intended to do, then they get a word in a dream not to return to Herod. And so they departed to their own country by another way. In, in doing so, in all these things, they proved themselves to be wise. They took the scriptures seriously. They took Daniel seriously. They took prof- prof- prophecy seriously. And they had been looking for this sign. And this sign they'd been looking for for about 440 years. So this had been passed down from generation to generation over the period of about 400 and something years. And now these men, the descendants of the, the men who would have been with Daniel, see the sign that they were looking for 
and they come in response to that. But the crazy thing is, only they come. They're the only ones who see it. They're the only ones who are looking for this. What does it tell you about the state of Judaism? That they're not really looking for the Messiah in the right way, that the only people who come, come from a thousand miles away to pay tribute to this one who, who prophecy had foretold would come to be the king of the Jews. They're the only ones who even show up. They come to Jerusalem. It's six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Nobody goes with them. These guys come a thousand miles. Word had to have been buzzing in Jerusalem that they were there. And why they were there, Herod knew it. So nobody goes with them. Nobody goes to see this child. It's absolutely meaningless except for these men who spent some time with Daniel hundreds of years, whose ancestors, I mean, hundreds of years before. But they were so impressed with the wisdom that this man Daniel had and the insight that he had and his connection with the Most High God that they, for hundreds of years, had been looking for the fulfillment of these prophecies. It's absolutely an amazing thing that, that they, it tells you how powerful a witness it was for Daniel to have been there and what they saw in that time, that they now come looking for this Messiah when the people to whom he is given aren't looking at all. They miss all the signs. And even when they're given the sign and the witness of these men being among them, they're not even curious enough to go to Bethlehem. It's sad and it's amazing. But they proved that they were not only wise in coming, they were wise in listening to the dream that they had. And it's, it's amazing again and again that, that the, the whole reason that these men are here is because Daniel could know and interpret dreams in a way that their ancestors couldn't do. And yet here, the dream is so clear to them that they are not to return to Herod, that they departed to their country by another way, defying this ruler's authority in the place. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, the father of Jesus, in a dream, and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken of by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. So Joseph, God speaks to him in dreams every single time. He spoke to him in a dream to tell him not to be afraid to take Mary um, as his wife, even though she was pregnant and, and it seemed scandalous and untrue, and yet at the same time, God said, do this thing in this dream, and, and Joseph trusted that dream, and he believed, and he did exactly what the Lord told him to do in marrying her, and now here he gets a word in a dream, and that's exactly what he does. He follows that word in a way that, that's really amazing. Um, he had reason to believe that Herod might might want to to take his child, but the murderous intent of this wicked king was was not um, almost not imaginable that this would have happened. 
and yet at the same time, Joseph is certain of it, and he flees, and he goes to Egypt, which is absolutely amazing. That that prophecy, by the way, that out of Egypt I have called my son, comes from Hosea 11, 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And so here, what happens is, is that we have the reverse, in many ways, of the exodus, Right, So out of Egypt I have called my son. What that would have meant in the context of the Hosea passage would have, would have referred back to the time of the Exodus. Out of Egypt I called my son. It, it was a fate accompli. It had been done a couple of thousand years at least before the birth of Jesus. And yet Matthew sees this as fulfillment of that prophecy, that, it's, that it wasn't speaking of something that was just from the past. It was also something that was prophesied for the future. And so Joseph leaves, and he finds safe haven in Egypt, which is a fascinating idea that that God's Messiah would go to Egypt to go into hiding from a murderous king in in an exact reversal of what had happened at the time of the Exodus when the firstborn children were being killed by a murderous pharaoh because of the threat that he perceived about the, from the Israelites in his midst, that they had grown so numerous that they posed a threat. And so that Pharaoh, who didn't know Joseph, didn't remember him, then turns his back on the Jews, puts them into slavery, and ultimately becomes the catalyst for their crying out to God and his deliverance through Moses. And so here we get exactly the opposite thing where the Lord says, go down there, go down to Egypt, because Herod, this murderous king, is going to search for the child in order to destroy him. And again, this goes back to that passage in, in Revelation 12 that, that I've quoted multiple times, and there's a reason for that, because it is a prophetic word at that time, but it's also, I believe, a word that's still to be filled. And so let me read that passage to you real quick. This is six verses. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on its head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And that's when we, uh, that's the fall of the angels, this third of the stars. Um. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child. One is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But his child, her child, was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she will be nourished for 1260 days. So again, that's describing the events that we see here. It's describing the Herod, this wicked king, being used by Satan to do his bidding, which is to destroy this Messiah before he ever comes to pass. Now, he's going to get his chance. And you can bet that on what we call Good Friday, the day of the crucifixion of Jesus, then he thought that he had triumphed. He thought the victory was his, that the one who was to be the Messiah had been rejected and was crucified on Calvary's tree. And yet three days later, what he found was is that the grave couldn't hold him and he didn't triumph, that there was a power that was indeed greater 
than he. He might have the keys of death and Hades, but he couldn't hold him. Couldn't hold him. And so it's a powerful statement here. So that passage from Revelation 12, I believe, to be uh, it, it descriptive of what happened at the birth of Jesus and Herod's desire to kill him. This was actually a satanic thing that's going on. I, I can remember years and years ago um, getting a book by Malcolm Muggeridge, who was a great British journalist who had been an atheist and had been converted to Christianity later in life, and, and remembering one of the things that he was writing about there had to do with abortion. And, and what he did was he told Mary's story and said that if Mary had gone to a psychologist or uh, a doctor even in some cases and told her story, they would have come to the conclusion that Mary was insane or she had cooked up some crazy story to cover reality and that she was incapable of raising this child. That would be what would happen in modern days, according to Malcolm Muggeridge. And what he said was uh, that, that a generation more in need of a Savior than any other would be too compassionate to allow that Savior to be born, and it would have been aborted. That's a powerful word, and I believe it to be a true word. So there, there are different ways of accomplishing the same end. And so here it's Herod who murderously wants to kill this child in the same way that Pharaoh in Egypt wanted to kill the Hebrew men, the babies, boys. Um, we see that same intention here aimed directly at one child, the one who posed a threat to him. And so Joseph listens to the dream and flees and takes Mary and Jesus down to Egypt in the same way that the wise men trusted in the dream that they had had and didn't go back to Herod. And so we'll, we'll look tomorrow at this murderous Herod a little bit and, and give you a little bit of backstory on who he is and, and why he's so insecure. There are many reasons for him to be that insecure, um, but he has, he has accomplished much in his um, brief-ish life at this point because he's not an old man, um, but, but he, is, he is beset by fears of being overthrown. He is, he's very, very insecure. And so the, the word that the king of the Jews had been born would have been truly problematic for him, largely because that was more or less his title, because he was the king of Judea, which may, makes him the king of the Jews. And so in the same way that Pharaoh was threatened, so here Herod is threatened. And in an ironic reversal, God sends his people to Egypt in order that they might be safe.